Well, I was given this nice set of Toyota keys somebody left. It's blue, and it has a few other little keys on it, but uh, maybe if it's a really good one, I'll trade you. <laughs> but anyway, Connie's going to have these keys, and they'll be probably at the kiosk, right? Thank you, Pastor Connie. And so they're yours, and retrieve your vehicle, amen? <laughs> well, you know, this is Mission Sunday, and I was planning to have Anita come and take a few minutes to tell you about the exciting things that are coming up for this church and the support of missions and give us a clip or so, but she's not too well under the weather, and so she'll be here next Sunday, and then the following Sunday we'll talk about missions again. And so that's what's happening. We hope you had a good time. Hope that you, those of you that came on Saturday, or feel like you're in shape now. <laughs> you found out what your gifts are, and you're ready to tackle things, right? <laughs> and so, thank, thank uh, Con Pastor Connie for that. And also, next Sunday, there's a membership class. This church, of course, will be having a business meeting at the end of April, and at some point in the future, there will be an opportunity to vote on a new pastor. And perhaps you've been coming to this church for a while. And you think this is your home church, but you've never taken out membership. We encourage you to come next Sunday, prepared to take a little bit more time. And then what we'll do is we'll give you an opportunity to learn about membership. And uh, you can apply. And so see Pastor Connie or, or someone at the, the front desk. Amen. I think if I was living in Scarborough in this area, I think this is where I'd like to be a, park my car every Sunday morning and be along with you great folk. And so we have an exciting future here. I know you have an exciting future here because of the fact that uh, you're a missions church. So I'm going to start off with this missions sun emphasis. I didn't change my message because I thought, well, why not have three Sundays where we talk about missions, right? So my message is uh, simply the mission of Christ. I want to start off with a story that's familiar to many people, hopefully not everybody, but it doesn't seem to matter how many times I read this little story of the, uh, of the <laughs> life-saving station, that what we'll do is it just speaks to me again. And so let me tell you this story. Here's this story that's been going around for decades, and it's a parable, I think. It's a story about a dangerous seacoast where a lot of shipwrecks occur. This is going back a few years. And there were some people that were concerned as these shipwrecks took place that there were people perishing. So what they did was they decided, let's build a simple little life-saving hut station, just a hut, basically, a building where when we go out and we bring back boatloads of people who are half-drowned, saving them from the sea, we would be able to care for them and look after them. And so they did that. And many lives over the years were saved by this little life-saving station. And actually, it became quite famous. And those from the area... And other people from the, the surrounding area said, I'd like to be involved in this great project of life-saving. And so they came and they gave money and they supported the work and they bought new boats and new crews were trained to know how to rescue people from the sea as, before they drowned. Well, then some of the members looked around at this shabby little shack and said, we need a nicer place to, to meet and have look after these people. So what they did was they got together and they built a bigger one, a nicer one. It was beautiful. And they, re they replaced all the uncomfortable cots. And uh, they put in comfortable beds and better furniture. Oh, it looks so much 
better. You know what? It became a kind of a popular gathering place for people that were members. And they decorated it. They made it beautiful. But something happened. Less members were now interested in leaving the comfortable, you know, uh, life-saving station and uh, go out there and into that sea and rescue people. They just kind of liked it where they were, nice and safe and dry. So what they did was they hired special lifeboats and crews to go out and help bring in these people who were drowning. Well, about this time when they were going through this change, there was a large shipwreck off the coast. And what happened was they, the, the crews that were sent out on their behalf brought back a lot of people wet and dirty, half drowned. Well, the beautiful club was a mess. So immediately the next day they had a committee meeting and they said, we got to do something about this. They're making a mess of this beautiful place that we meet together in. So they had a shower house built outside. They said, send them there first, clean them up, and then they can come and join our beautiful social club here. And so that's what they did. Well, at the next meeting, there was a split in the membership. You see, some of the people wanted to stop these life-saving endeavors and activities because it was a hindrance to the social life of the club. Some members insisted, well, that's what we're here for, goodness sakes. You know, we're a life-saving station. But they were voted down. If you don't like it, go down the coast and build your own life-saving station. So they did. And you know what? Wouldn't you know it? As the years went along, the new life-saving station went through the same changes as the other one. And they had a split in the club. And they sent those that were interested in saving lives to go elsewhere. And they enjoyed this beautiful life. If you go to the seacoast today, they say that uh, you'll find a lot of exclusive clubs out there. A lot of beautiful places. Shipwrecks are many, however, still, but most people drown. Churches, denominations, Christians, we can get so easily sidetracked from what our true mission is, right? Our true mission is to get out there and win the lost for Jesus Christ. So today we're going to look at Jesus as a prime example. And if anybody had opportunities to get sidetracked from what their mission was it was Jesus and we'll explain that as we go through this story in a moment the story that we're going to read together demonstrates both Christ's mission what his mission was and he states what his mission is in this particular story so why don't you stand with me I'll try my best to read along with you there's 10 verses this time and we're going to read the story of Zacchaeus the tax collector so in this first slide, let's start off together reading in unison. As Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through, a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, 
Here and now I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. Heavenly Father, asking you to bless your word that is already blessed. Use it, Lord, to help us, to focus, to refocus, to direct us. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Over these next couple of Sundays, you'll hear some reports of the missionaries that you support. And hopefully, if you're not familiar with them, you'll begin to pray for them on a regular basis and ask God to bless them and to help them. So I'm just going to button up until Anita gets here because I get pretty excited about what some of the things are that you're doing. But I commend the church over the years. It's been a tremendous missionary giving church, and we set a goal this year that we're believing God to help you meet. Amen? Well, why did Jesus come anyway? What was the purpose of Jesus coming to this world? We could give a number of answers for that. We could say, as it says in Matthew 20, Jesus came to give his life as a ransom. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 5, it says he came to take away our sins. Hallelujah. And then three verses later, it says it came to destroy the works of the devil. It also says in the book of Hebrews that it, he came the first time to prepare for a second time, when this time he appears not to deal with sin, because he's already dealt with that but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. And Jesus said, I give you life and life abundantly. You could look at all of those and say, well, those are great reasons and a great purposes or multi-purposes for Jesus coming. But if Jesus had a mission statement, we know he came for all those things. What was his mission statement? They say churches need a vision statement, a purpose statement, what is the mission statement? It would be verse 10, and that is, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Well, that's the last verse of this story of Zacchaeus, so let's unpack it a little bit together. Two things we know for sure, Jesus was filled by the Holy Spirit, with the Holy Spirit, and he was led by the Holy Spirit. We read that in Matthew 4 and Luke 4, when he was filled with the Spirit. We also know that as we study his life, he did not turn from the right or, or to the left from his purposes and for the mission that he had been given. Luke chapter 19, verse 10 is one of those verses that tell us he came to seek and save the lost. That was his singular mission when he came here to earth. So let's get a little bit of background to this story of Zacchaeus, familiar to so many who maybe were raised in Sunday school or children's church. In chapter 9, verse 51, events leading up to this recorded by Luke, it talks about a time when he was up on the Mount of, uh, of Caesarea Philippi, I should say, and while he was there, he told the disciples, I have to go to Jerusalem, and when I get there, I'm going to be arrested, they're going to torture me, and I'm going to die. And it says in that 51st verse, as the time came for Jesus to be taken up to heaven, he resolutely set his mind to Jerusalem because that's where the cross was. He made his mind up, I've got to go there. That's why I came to earth, and I'm so glad he came, aren't you? <laughs> Amen. 
It says on the way in Luke chapter 17, while he's making his way there to fulfill this mission. And you can imagine. I mean, he knew he was going to die. He knew what was going to happen. He was going to take upon himself the sinless person that he was, the sins of the whole world. He knew all of the mistreatment and the pain of all of that. And so you think he'd be pretty preoccupied. I would be for sure. But it says as he's going along, he sees 10 lepers and he takes the time to heal the 10 lepers. Not only that, his disciples on the way are squabbling about who's going to sit on the right, who's going to sit on the left when they get into the kingdom. And so Jesus takes the time again, and he sits down and he says, if you want to be great in the kingdom, then learn to be a servant. We're all going to be servants. And he says, to sit on my right or left, that's not for me to decide, that's for God or the Father to make a decision about later. He comes to the city of Jericho, or, yeah, Jericho, and before he gets in, even into the city, the main part where Zacchaeus is, there are two blind men, Matthew says there's two of them, that need healing. The disciples think he's too busy, but he says, listen, let them talk to me, and he heals them. He gets into the city, and he, he has this story that, we have the story about Zacchaeus that we read, about what happened there. And then it, Mark says, when he's leaving the city, there's another blind man. Mark says his name is Bartimaeus. And Bartimaeus is healed by Jesus. There were people in the city of Jericho that needed to be healed and needed to be touched spiritually like Zacchaeus. So Jesus, with his mind resolutely set on going to Jerusalem by Passover to become the Passover lamb for all of us and go through that cruel death, with that on his mind and his disciples squabbling about who's going to be first, people with need all around him, he still looked and went to Jericho. It's incredible when you think about it. If it was me, I think I would have said, I better go straight to Jerusalem and get this over with. But that's not our Lord. So some of you that live on the east side, say you live in Whitby, and you wanted to go downtown Toronto to City Hall. Now, of course, I would, not being from this area, I would take the 401 to the Don Valley parking lot, I mean parkway, and I would go down and get off at Richmond or go all the way down to the Gardener and come up York or Bay, one of those, to get to City Hall. That's what I would do. It seems to me, in my mind, the most direct way, not necessarily the fastest, right, <laughs> as you know. But anyway, that's how it goes. But let's say, on the way from Whitby along the 401 West, you get off at Warden, and you come up here to Shepherd, and just north of Shepherd, on the northwest corner, is this place called Warden Full Gospel Assembly. And there's somebody there that needs you. And so you go there. And you minister to that person. And then you go back down, Warden, join the 401, and on your way to Jerusalem, City Hall, or whatever. Well, that's, what, that's exactly what happened. There was a detour. Jesus took a detour. You see, Jericho was not something, they had a bypass to it. So he had to go out of his way to go to Jericho. And so he went out of his way because there's people in Jericho that need Jesus. And so he goes out of his way to Jericho. This city at that time of about 100,000 people, priests and Levites all over the place, famous for balsams and dates, worldwide trade by the Romans, place of commerce called the City of Palms, a beautiful city. But inside that beautiful city, 
outside of the city gates were people that needed Jesus, blind people that needed to be healed, inside a scoundrel that needed to get saved, whose name is Zacchaeus. In verse 2 it says in this passage that we read, his name was Zacchaeus. That's pretty significant. Zacchaeus means pure. I think mom and dad, whoever named him, had a dream for their little baby that he'd become someone pure and holy and live a good life. He became a tax collector, a chief tax collector. And he was wealthy, it says. What is a chief tax collector? Well, first of all, he was a chief, so he's wealthy. Rome said to Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, let's say, I want 100 shekels per person for taxes. So Zacchaeus would be smart because he's a chief. He had little tax collectors. And he called these little tax collectors together. And he'd say to them, listen, boys, uh, I need, not 100, I need 200 shekels per person. And these little guys would go out and they'd knock on your door. And they'd say, Rome wants 250 shekels. <laughs> and you know what? Rome just closed their eyes to all this. They didn't care how much they charged as long as they got their hundred shekels. So he was a chief tax collector and he was wealthy. Tax collectors were hated by the Hebrew people, even though most of them were Hebrews, I'm sure. Represented, he represented Roman rule and power. They were notorious extortionists, as I just explained. In the Jewish holy book, their Talmud, their Bible, so to speak, the three people you could legitimately lie to, a murderer and a thief and a tax collector. Isn't that crazy? Men, these Jewish men had a daily prayer. Thank God I'm not a Gentile. Thank God I'm not a woman. Sorry, that's what it says. Thank God I'm not a tax collector. Every day, they thank God they weren't a tax collector. And you could lie to a tax collector if you wanted Zacchaeus was a scoundrel. He was a rogue. That's the kind of person that's in this city. And in verses 3 and 4, we see this smothering scene. So you imagine this despised person in a big crowd. And Jesus would have a crowd around him. I mean, that's why the disciples said, tell those guys to be quiet. Jesus doesn't have time. You're, you're, you're making all kinds of racket. And they kept crying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us. And Jesus stopped and healed them. So that's the scene. It's smothering. It's crowded, and you're short, and you can't see this person. Obviously, he's heard of Jesus, obviously, and he wants to see Jesus. He's curious, and so he has to get up into a sycamore tree, sycamore fig tree, to be able to see Jesus. And you can imagine that smothering scene. Let's, let's say, you know, you say to your neighbor, there comes, there comes Zacchaeus, there comes Zacchaeus. And so uh, his head's about elbow level, right? And you're in a crowd. <clears throat> oh, sorry. And those ladies with their heavy purses. Oh, sorry. I didn't see you there. Kicks. Oh, did I step on your foot? Oh, I know. I'm sorry. You still have a sandals, right? Oh. Well, he's not only wealthy, he's pretty smart. There's no way I'm going in that. <laughs> Get brutalized. So he climbs up into this tree. I love verse 5. When Jesus reaches the spot. Hallelujah. The spot. A few weeks ago, I celebrated my spot. The day Jesus came into my life. 
the day I was introduced to him and he became my personal savior. It was a January 19th, way back, 1973. Age 18, my life was changed completely. Hallelujah. New life came into me. Old habits, the new life just drowned them out. God came into my life. That was my spot. He reaches the spot. And I believe because Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit, he knew when to stop. And there was something in his heart that the Holy Spirit said, this is it. He looked up and he says, Zacchaeus, listen to what he says. Zacchaeus, come down from the tree immediately. Hallelujah. Immediately. I must stay at your house. Can you hear the urgency of Jesus' voice to those that are lost today? You must receive Christ as Savior. We, that's our message to our world. That's why we support missions worldwide. That's why we have programs at our church for all ages. That's why we are here today. We're a lighthouse. Amen? So, Matthew, you know, he was a tax collector, and he became one of the, the 12. Maybe Zacchaeus said, well, if Matthew could, you know, become a disciple. Maybe I can. I don't know. Maybe, this is kind of how prayer works, maybe, I'm just projecting that one day Matthew says, you know, if you're ever down in Jericho, there's this little guy I've been praying for. His name is Zacchaeus. Would you look him up? Isn't that how prayer works? I pray to God, and I pray for those that I love that aren't saved. And I say, oh God, would you arrange things today so that my sister, my brother, my neighbor, my friend, can run into somebody who will love them and share the gospel with them. I think that's how prayer works. Now, what I just said is just projection. It's just a guess, but it wouldn't surprise me for some reason it could have worked that way. So Zacchaeus welcomes him gladly, this most despised and hated person of all Jewish people at that time. He was wealthy, but he wasn't happy. He had heard of Jesus, the one who welcomes tax collectors and sinners, and wondered maybe by chance that Jesus would welcome him. He was despised and hated by men, but he's reaching out for the love of God. In verse 7, the people begin to mutter. They don't quite get it. This awful, the chief sinner among us in this city. Jesus has gone to be the guest of a sinner. <laughs> and... Uh, the guest is only used one of the time. This word, kataluma, it's in the Greek. It's the same thing that's used when it's telling the story of Jesus' birth and he comes to the innkeeper and says, is there any kataluma? No, there's no kataluma. You'll have to stay in the stable. There's no rooms in the inn. But this man made a kataluma for Jesus. He brought him into, he opened his home, hallelujah, to Jesus. He, he gave him shelter, so to speak. Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. And if anyone would hear my voice, and I believe he's knocking at heart's doors today, anyone would hear my voice and open up their heart, I will be with him, I will come in, I will sup with him and him with me. I think I'm going to preach a message in the weeks ahead, Lord willing, and it just simply is Jesus is at the door. Hallelujah, he's at the door. He's not left the door, he's still knocking. 
No details given of the uh, invitation of the conversation that went on, events that took place inside those closed doors. But in verse 9, Zacchaeus emerges a changed man. I mean, he's changed from being a scoundrel and a thief, basically. G. Campbell Morgan says he entered mastered by greed, and he came out mastered by grace. Mastered by grace, hallelujah. He went in the, in the grip of roguery, he came out possessed by righteousness. Hallelujah for salvation through Jesus Christ. He changes lives. Amen. Hallelujah. Why do I know he was really changed? It says in Exodus chapter 22, if you steal something and you get caught, you steal one sheep, you've got to pay back two sheep. If you get caught. If you don't get caught but you volunteer, you have to pay 20%. So if you stole 100 shekels, you'd have to pay back 120 well, this man is so changed, and he realizes he's lived a life of sin. He says, I will pay back, not twice, four times. Amen? Changed by the power of God. What our, life, what our workplaces, our schools, our government needs to see are people changed by the power of God. Hallelujah. That there can be no doubt that God has done something in their life. <laughs> and that's what happened that day. William Barclay says... The testimony is worthless unless it's backed up by deeds which are proof and guarantee of sincerity. And that's, he was sincere in this situation. So what happened to Zacchaeus? Jesus says, you know what? Salvation has come to this house. Hallelujah. He is saved. I like that word saved. You know, we come up with other words that are also very important and more theological, but I just love that word saved. Jesus saved. Jesus saved me. Hallelujah. I think of that song we used to sing years ago when I first got saved in the church. And this, this hymn went like this. Pass me not, O gentle Savior, hear my humble cry. While on others you are calling, do not pass me by. Zacchaeus obviously didn't sing that song, but I was thinking, oh, don't pass by. And Jesus looks up and everything changes when he comes. Then Jesus wraps it all up by saying, to see, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. The word lost here doesn't just mean mislaid or misplaced. It means something that's of no value. Zacchaeus' outlook, Zacchaeus' habits, Zacchaeus' character were of no value until that day in Jericho. The tragedy of a lost soul is that God's robbed, right? Who hurts more, the one who's lost or the one who has lost it? Mom was at the train station in the foggy London, London bus station at a foggy London morning. Buses were going by and she was with her little boy and they were going to get on their train. And mom was looking up through the fog to see if this was the right bus this time. And it wasn't the right bus. And so off the bus went, the doors closed. She looked beside her. Her little boy got on the bus, the wrong bus. Now I ask you in that moment, that little 10 or 11-year-old boy, who hurt more, mom or the boy? I bet we hurt so much for lost people in our own families, don't we? But what about God? means so much to Jesus that he gave his life 
to, and he came to earth to save us, to put away sin, to, to die for us, to prepare for a second time when he's coming, not to deal with sin, but this time to, to bring in the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. To give us life right now and life abundantly, all of these things. Thief on the cross. Jesus still in agony on the cross has one of the thieves stop cursing him and tell the other thief to shut up. There's something different about this one. Don't curse him. And then he reaches out to Jesus and he says, remember me. That's all he prayed, remember me. And Jesus said, today, today, with me in paradise. Hallelujah. With me. That's what it's all about. Jesus wants us to be with him for all eternity. That's it. He wants to have fellowship with us. A few years ago, after I got saved, I brought one of my friends, a really close friend, and we were in the church in Toronto where I got saved. My pastor was a passionate pastor evangelist, and every Sunday people got saved. It was just amazing. I brought my friend there, and he sat in the pew, and he was shaking like this under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and tears were in his eyes. And when the pastor gave the altar call to come up to the front if you want to receive Christ as a Savior, I turned to Jim, and I said, Jim, you want to go up? And he says, no, not, not now. We sat in the, his little Volkswagen bug in the parking lot, and I talked to him about receiving Christ and he says, uh, I promise you, the next time I come, I'll get saved. <laughs> that was 1973. Well, I stayed in Toronto, went off to Bible college. He lived up in my home near Perry Sound. Became a businessman, married. First marriage fell apart. Became a drinker, chain smoker, drugs. Great guy. Just loved him. Once in a while, I'd stop in. He was an entrepreneur. He'd try something, it would fail. Try something else, it would fail. Nothing was going right for him. I heard when I was in, in, uh, working in the district office in the Toronto churches that my friend was now in Sudbury. Before that, about two months, three months before that, I wrote him a letter. And I said, Jim, you remember the parking lot in Etobicoke, that church? I said, uh, you promised me. I still... I, I, taking you for your word that you're going to get right with God and I uh, heard that he was in a hospital in Sudbury so I said to my superintendent Lori Gibbons who passed away last year who has a wonderful love for people I said I know it's way out of my area and I'm going to have to take a day or two off of work but this is the story I want to go to see my friend and you know what Lori's response was of course of course so I get in my car I drive from Toronto all the way up to Sudbury, go to the hospital, meet my friend. He receives Jesus as his Savior. He passes into heaven. Hallelujah. A few days later, he's in heaven. We got to do his funeral. <laughs> it was great. His daughter's born again. I didn't know that at the time. Just a tremendous, tremendous thing. Zacchaeus, come down immediately. <laughs> what a waste. My, my friend in heaven. I, am, I know, it's saying, what a waste of my life when I could have had salvation all that time. I must come to your home, 
Jesus says to you today, if he isn't your Savior, I must. Today is the day of salvation. You know, several years ago when I was looking after the churches in the Toronto area, uh, one of our pastors in Fort Severn, which is not Fort Severn, it's Fort Severn where polar bears are. Well, Pastor Elijah passed away. And it's very remote. It's the furthest northern community in uh, in Ontario. And he passed away, and I needed to go talk to the congregation who uh, did, did not know English that well. The older ones, they spoke their own native language. So anyway, I went there. I'm in the little plane, and we're flying up there. It's about two and a half hours north of Sioux Lookout, which is further away from than Orlando to here. Anyway, and by the way, would you pray for us this week? Superintendent wants me to take him to four communities from Wednesday to Friday to meet our First Nations pastors and get to know them. But we need prayer. We make about nine different little plane drops into these communities. Thank goodness and thank the Lord. The polar vortex has gone up, so we're not going to get minus 40. But anyway, pray. I'm serious. Pray for us. We need the protection of God as we go. But anyway, sorry, back to the story. So I go up there. I'm, I'm in the plane. I'm reading my Bible. And in Luke chapter 15, those familiar parables, the one parable with three parts, the lost sheep, the last coin, and the lost son, I'm reading them. This time, I notice something that's different. And uh, I noticed a phrase in the translation that I was using, and it said, that the shepherd sought the sheep, the lost sheep, until he found it. Never caught that before. And then the woman who lost one of the ten valuable coins, she swept the house until she found it. Pictures of Christ, pictures of the Holy Spirit sweeping. And so, good, I know what, because I know when I get there, they're going to say, no matter what time of the afternoon it is, we're going to have church, and I'm going to preach. So I was ready. I had a, a fresh word from the Lord. Well, I get there, but we need an interpreter. So the only interpreter that they could find was someone who used to go to the church a few years ago, but hadn't been to church for a long time. And he is my interpreter. So we go through our business, and then I knew they'd say this, we're going we're gonna to have a service. And so we're going to have a service. And this lady was brought, came up to the front to play. Now she, had, she was the musician, and she had cut these three fingers in the axe. So she says, I can only play in the key of C. Well, guitar in the key of C, I, I don't understand all that. I'm not a musician, but I know the key of C is on the piano, kind of a simple, but anyway. We sang the song, the song that she knew for about seven minutes. We only sang one song. And then it was time for me to preach. And I got up and they said, would you preach on the second coming? I thought, the second coming? Like, how wide... <laughs> But, I mean, this is their church. It was on their heart. So I, I started. And on the, like, just on, off the cuff, all I could think about was the signs of the times. So I told them about certain signs of the times Jesus said would be prevalent near the end. And so my interpreter, who is lost, is now interpreting my message, and his eyes are getting bigger and bigger as I explain how close we are to Jesus coming, right? And uh, so that I closed the message, but I wasn't going to let them go. <laughs> I was going to say, I, I, on the way up here, and I shared the messages very quickly about the lost sheep and the lost coin. 
And then we had an altar call, and everybody comes up for the altar call. And I had pastors with me, and or a couple pastors, and, and so we started to pray for people. And you don't take a little, you know, one-minute prayer. You just want you to pray. So we prayed, and the lady came up to play the song that she had sung for seven minutes, and she played it and played it and played it. And then halfway through praying for people, and we're only talking of a dozen or so people, halfway through praying for people, all of a sudden, people start to vocalize and praise God out loud. And I'm, I'm thinking while I'm praying, <laughs> hallelujah, the Holy Spirit's falling. You know, that's what I was thinking. It was just great. The Holy Spirit's falling in this place, and people are just entering in. They're getting louder and louder. And then all of a sudden, the song changed. And as I'm praying, I hear them singing this song, I keep holding on to Jesus because he's holding on to me, right? And so I'm thinking, what happened? And I turn around, and my interpreter is playing the song. <laughs> Tears. I went to have a business meeting. God sent me to seek and save a lost wandering sheep. And he gave me a message on the way up that there was a father in heaven waiting with open arms for the prodigal to come back. Hallelujah! That's our message to the world. That if the world is lost, and it is, there's a Savior who will seek until he finds them. We have a Holy Spirit who will keep hounding us and hounding us until we realize we need to be saved. And when we do receive Jesus, we have a Heavenly Father who's standing, looking. He's looking for that one to come home that's been wandering away. That's what Warden Full Gospel Assembly is here for today. We are here to seek and save the lost. That is the mission. And so we support missionaries who are out in other countries, in other parts of the city, seeking and saving the lost. We have people that are a part of our church that are out there on the front line seeking and saving the lost. It is the mission of our church. And so we give our lives to the Lord and say, Jesus, have mercy on us. Amen. Last week I closed with Micah chapter 7. Let me close again. Who in the worship team, please come. Who is a God like you who pardons sin? and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance. You don't stay angry forever. You will again have compassion on us, and you will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. And then he's going to put up this sign. says, no fishing, folks. <laughs> no fishing in that sea called forget, where all my sins of the past are, and all your sins of the past are. And if we get to heaven and somebody, there wouldn't be anybody there that would do this. But if there was a devil that could come in and say, remember when you and everybody in heaven and God would say, I, I don't remember. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's stand and worship our God together today. Hallelujah. This is the missions giving church. And so for the next two Sundays, next week you'll get a pledge card. And I encourage you to pray about it that week. Maybe you'll come ready to pledge. And then in the following week, we'll ask you to send them in so that we can get an idea of what we can do for God because we're here as a life-saving station to save the lost. For the Son of Man came 
to seek and save the lost. Heavenly Father, we bow in your presence today, and as everyone's head is bowed and eyes are closed, maybe there's a lost sheep here, someone who's wandered away from the fold, and today you hear the Master calling, this is the spot, <laughs> and he's looking up to you, or looking down to you, and he says, come home. If you're here today and you need prayer because you're wandering and lost from the Lord, just raise your hand. I want to pray for you at the end of the service. Hallelujah. 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 Oh, for the day when we become such a mighty spiritual magnet that the lost are in our services. And when we give that call, hands go up. Hallelujah. A new life begins. And names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And eternal life is going to be dispersed and given to them. Hallelujah. Bless this church now, Lord. Bless this word to our hearts. And bless us as we go out from these four walls, for that is where the mission field is in our own backyards. Bless us together, we pray in Jesus' name. Everyone said, Amen.